Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Welcome back. Today, we're here with Ben Nelson. Ben is the founder and CEO of Radix Leadership. He specializes in helping leaders and organizations build high-performing teams that achieve their goals by aligning their purpose and their people to deliver on performance. He's also the executive director of Kiwani County EDC in Wisconsin. Ben, welcome to the show. Well, good morning. Thanks for having me. It's Absolutely. A long description of me, I guess, when you, <laughs> when you listen to it. Yes. Um, well, I, I left off some of it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah. I, so I, uh, you know, my most of my career and my background, actually, I started out um, working in natural resources, of all things. Um, and, you know, when you go to school you, and, and pursue that type of career, you... Um, you know, you think you're going to be working with animals and out in nature and all of that thing. And then you do. Um, but as you get along in that journey, um, you realize that you actually spend more time managing people uh, than you do the actual resources. So um, that's how I kind of I started out in natural resources. And as I progressed in my career there, um, really honed and developed a talent for um, dealing with people. Um, in all different facets around some very um, sensitive topics. Uh, people are very passionate about um, natural resources in general, uh, whether it's wildlife or other things like that. So um, as I progressed in my career, I realized that I was more adept at uh, people, um, people dynamics than I was at the natural resources side of things. So um, that's kind of how it pushed me into um, what I'm doing now as a, um, you know, talent and, and leadership consultant, and then also my role with the economic development as well. Uh, so interesting. interesting background. Yeah. I haven't heard of anybody moving from natural resources to, um, to people. That's, I can imagine though, that there's some overlap that natural resources are finite and people in an organization, you have a, typically have a finite supply of your employees. And so I'd imagine that some of the knowledge and education that you that you gained probably carried over. Let's talk about that. What kinds of things does Radix do? What are you seeing in organizations that, that in your mind created this need uh, for Radix? Yeah, so um, the, I guess I'll start with kind of what we do. You know, what we do, um, you know, we help design and guide organizational transformations um, and strengthening business performance. And, and we utilize behavioral science and advanced analytics and things to do that. Um, and I refer to it as talent optimization. Um, so, you know, it's, we, what we really do is we help people with, um, you know, most companies have a business strategy and then they also have business results that they want to achieve. 
And it's always the people in the middle of all of that that really determine that. So how I kind of um, came to the conclusion um, to to kind of start the consulting business was uh, along that journey in natural resources, I had gotten to some very high level positions. Um, I was an assistant director for uh, a wildlife refuge. And um, at that point in time, I actually went back to school, got my master's degree in organizational leadership and administration. Um, And then kind of that's when I really jumped full time into people um, joining um, one of our um, Wisconsin technical colleges here as a training director. And as I went um, through that, that journey, the, the number one thing that kept coming up for businesses um, and it didn't matter of the industry type. So if it was manufacturing or, um, you know, financial or things like that, you know, all of the issues always stemmed around people. Uh, so it was really, um, that, you know, the number one training request that we received was some form of leadership development and things like that. So, um, in, and then I actually started delivering some of those and I'm like, well, I could be doing this, you know, in my own methodology instead of a prepackaged um, course and things like that. Um, so that's kind of where, um, you know, I guess my, my foundational market research came for the, for the organization. And then the, actually the Radix is um, the Latin word for roots. So to me, you know, people are kind of the uh, of an organization, you know, 64% of most organizations uh, expenses are their people, but also 70, I think it's 74% of a company's value is determined by their people. So, you know, it's really, um, I, I like the, the concept of kind of tying in um, roots and um, what that means in terms of um, an organization that, and the inspiration from it actually came from the redwood trees in, in Northern California on a vacation when I was there. Um, and what's interesting about those trees, they're massive. If you've never seen them, I encourage everybody to go and see them. Um, but their, their root systems are actually very shallow. They just spread really wide. And part of the reason they stand for 2000 years is they, they intertwine and they support each other and things like that. And I thought that was a really good metaphor for, um, healthy organizations and also um, honoring my natural resources start in terms of my career. So, um, yeah, you know, I guess in terms of what what I my approach to leadership development and things, I I like to use the word um, stewardship for that. And you know, that's also I guess is paying a little bit of homage to the natural resources background I have, and and what that means to me is just really to truly care uh, and feel a deep sense of responsibility for the lives that you impact through your leadership. So that's why we say um, for, from Radix's standpoint that people are our purpose. And so we, we help organizations create those environments um, and, you know, people can realize their gifts, apply those talents and then feel um, a sense of fulfillment in their work. And I think from the economic development side, um, what what we see at least here, and I think this is true across the country, is right now access to talent and talent gaps, um, talent attraction and retention are are large issues um, for a lot of organizations. So, um, 
you know, what we do in terms of trying to help optimize their talent, um, helps them become destination um, workplaces, as well as improve their retention numbers, you know, and more uh, intentional hiring practices and those types of things. That makes sense. So let's talk about um, that as it relates to the experiences that everybody's having all across the country. There is a, there's a labor shortage. There's a lot of, there's a lot of unemployment, but at the same time, there's a lot of um, job listings and there's a sort of mismatch between um, the jobs that are available and, and who's available to do those jobs and the kinds of jobs that they want to do. What does talent optimization and working with the organization to, to enhance their workforce, how does that impact the economy going forward? How does that impact the businesses themselves, the organizations? Like, what does that look like? Well, so I guess, you know, what I like to, dis- how I'd like to describe um, kind of, you know, the, we're experiencing the effect of the pandemic on our, you know, we've always had um, talent gaps and talent issues and things like that. Um, but I think the the pandemic has just um, ratcheted that up a little bit. And, you know, so what, how I describe like the pandemic's um, impact, I, I call it kind of the four horsemen of the pandemic on talent. So, you know, you have um, organizations navigating high, you know, a hybrid work environment. We have labor shortages, skills gaps. Um, and then also a number of people are resigning or leaving their positions. So the pandemic has kind of accelerated that timeline. So, you know, with, with talent optimization, um, what that really is, is it, it's a four-part discipline that really uh, details what's required for aligning your business strategy and your ta- talent strategy um, so that you can hit on some of those desired business results that you're wanting to achieve with your business. Um, so, you know, to address kind of those four horsemen of the pandemic. So, you know, there's, there's four aptitudes within talent optimization. So the first is design. Um, the second piece of that is hiring. The third is inspiring the people that you have on your team. And then kind of the ongoing process of that is diagnosing, always evaluating how are we doing, um, where, where are we having gaps with our, our team. So, you know, it, it really kind of starts with the design is, is identifying um, who you have on your team, who are the star players, who if you could replicate, um, you know, like if I had 15 Susies, I'd, I'd be killing it. And, and the, so figuring out um, where people live in, in the world of work, how that looks for your organization, and then mapping that against um, what your business strategy is. And what's interesting is, is that, you know, only um, 70% of leadership teams typically are even aligned on their business strategy. So sometimes we, you know, when I work with a, an organization, I, I go in and I start usually with the leadership team um, and see if they're all pursuing the same strategy, because sometimes um, you have those contradictory forces working against each other. Um, and, and that can be a, a hindrance. So, um, you know, obviously, there, there's many sides to the issue. That's the, exactly the point that I was going to bring up. You know, you mentioned that businesses have organizations have goals and they have strategies. It seems like often the goal is, you know, pretty clearly defined. We're going to make money or we're going to do something if we're some kind of nonprofit organization. But the the strategy of getting there is probably something that needs to be worked out. So that's interesting that you mentioned that. 
And then having a talent optimization strategy added on top of that, it, that does seem like that adds a number of layers, but it does seem like causes the organization to sort of really have to think through all those various pieces. And does it, does it sometimes add um, a level of paralysis to the organization? Does it somehow sometimes slow them down, you know, way too much? Or do you see this as something that they can drop in and just keep going and accelerate at that point? Yeah, I, I like to describe it like when I first start working with a client, I, I talk to them about this is your, um, this is kind of our opportunity. Uh, this is the slow down to speed up moment for their organization. Um, so yes, there's a little bit of work that needs to go in at the beginning, um, but you know, the, the outcome on the backside of it is, is where they're going to really see the difference. And what, what's interesting is, you know, most businesses have a strategy. So, you know, I would say it's 80% have a solid business strategy, you know, and as you move through the different layers of um, operating an organization, the percentages come down. So, you know, you think of, um, a financial plan, like only about 67% of organizations have a, a legitimate financial plan. Um, only about 55% have a talent strategy. And then as you move deeper into the people side of that, you know, only 30% of those organizations that have a talent strategy actually map those leadership competencies back to their business strategy. So, and then as you go further down, is that talent strategy aligned with their business strategy? Um, and it's, it's, you know, in the low 20s in terms of the number of organizations that have that. So, you know, the, the interesting thing about the, the effect on the pandemic or that the p pandemic has had um, in relation to talent optimization is, you know, of the, um, you know, we did a, a survey of a different manufacturers in our area and of those that had a reduction in their workforce at some point during uh, the pandemic, you know, 80% of those companies were not practicing their, you know, any kind of talent optimization. So they weren't mapping it to the strategy. And we found that the majority that um, did have talent optimization were able to realign their people and, and whether the, um, financial impacts and the, the economic impacts of what the pandemic has done without having to have significant layoffs or reductions in workforces and things like that. So, um, and it's, it's, um, we've seen that some of those companies, um, that their people are staying, they're, they're more loyal to their company because, um, they paid attention to that, um, talent strategy. So the organizations that have been deliberate and have thought about this and made the various strategies and mapped those strategies back to each other, were able to see where they were headed and have a good idea of what was happening and were able to sort of reallocate and move people around and make it so that they could continue functioning as opposed to the ones that were sort of just had these employees as sort of replaceable cogs in the machine. When the machine slowed down, they just tossed them overboard is basically what you're kind of saying. Yeah. So the, the big difference is, is that the organizations that are practicing kind of this optimization um, framework, they, they have the crucial 
data on their people that allows them to be able to pivot very quickly. So they, they'll know behavioral drives, they'll know strengths, they'll know operational blind spots, how hard um, they may be asking an employee to stretch outside of their normal comfort zone and things like that, where other organizations, it's they're doing it by feel, doing it by guess. And how actually how I like to explain um, talent optimization is, is if, if you're familiar with the movie um, Moneyball, where that, um, for those that don't know, that's um, Brad Pitt is in that movie and he used all kinds of different analytics to build um, a roster of baseball players for the Oakland A's that all looked like kind of misfits in terms of um, how they fit into that. But they, they looked at different data points than anybody else had ever done. And they, they built essentially a winning team um, on a very low budget. So they, they, you know, I think it was 20 games that they won in a row. They went to the world series and things like that, beating out, you know, teams like the Yankees who have the highest payroll in, in baseball. So, um, and now, you know, analytics is, is used on every, every sport um, in, in professional sports. So kind of what we do is, is very similar in the sense that we utilize different um, data points and, and people data to align it with what the organization is trying to do. Um, and, and we've been seeing some pretty good success with it. Excellent. That's an excellent analogy. I think that uh, Moneyball is a is a very good sort of picture of how we're sort of operating with these assumptions that that things work a certain way, and then somebody comes in with a whole new set of data that they're tracking, and they say, "Hey, you know what? These are the important points. If we pay attention to these, it doesn't matter what the rest of it is. If we pay attention to these, things will go well." So that that's interesting. So this these techniques and these strategies. Do they work in organizations of all sizes or is it only, you know, large businesses or small businesses? Um, for me, it, you know, it's designed so that it can work across any industry, any size. And how we, you know, basically there's kind of three steps in terms of um, talent optimization. It's the first piece of that is gathering the data. Um, and of course, that's kind of the, that people data and analytics that I talk about. Um, the second step is kind of delivering the insights. So you need to analyze that data, understand what it means, what are the primary takeaways, and then take action on it. So, you know, using that data and um, taking those insights to continue to leverage what works, uh, improve areas that aren't, and then always going back and, and reassessing that. So, um, you know, the, those are kind of the big, the big takeaways with it and how we're able to do that and how it's scalable. So we have a, we, we basically built this into a, a software system. So um, clients that I, I work with, um, the kind of the first step in the process is, like I said, I, we usually start with the leadership team or, or somebody in the C-suite typically. Um, but we basically put this software within the organization so, and we give them the keys kind of to the car and we teach them how to drive that car. So um, they can start to utilize um, some of that framework internally themselves. And it, it's a tangible thing that they can use within their organization. And then we build out from there, depending on what the needs are. So, you know, that might be training workshops that may be individual coaching type of activities or different things like that. But um, for some organizations, especially larger ones, they they have usually a team of 
talent professionals that are specific around uh, more talent focused talent strategists um or you know sometimes that you know people refer to them as human resources depending on the organization so for some of those organizations that feel they have a robust team of people to help carry out some of that stuff you know we go in we get them you set up with the software system train them on what to use and now they've built in that framework for them and it creates a common language um and it's very easy to to navigate and use um always being updated and it's always um and all of the things that we do are based on science and 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 data and backed up with validity studies and things like that so um you know that was one of my um when i first started in this consulting world um i I struggled with the scalability of uh, of delivering on those meetings so the software system really um, creates that, and um, it's great because um, you know we can we can have it translated into different languages. If you know if people have an office in the United States and one in you know a different country, um, and it's it's all web based, so you know it keeps up with all of our um, current times and hybrid work and things like that. So it, it's. Um, so I guess to yeah, answer your question, I mean, it really is, um, it's applicable across any industry, um, any size. So it's, it's scalable and repeatable. And what's great is through the diagnose piece of that framework, you know, you, you're getting tangible, uh, real-time measurement of what, um, you know, what kind of progress you're making in terms of some of the actions that you take. Very interesting. So um, in addition to doing this, you're also the executive director of the Kiwani uh, Economic Development Corporation up there in Wisconsin. Yes. So how does, what lessons have you brought from uh, Radix over to the EDC? Um, you know, obviously the leadership development and being a leader and an advocate um, within our community is, is a huge component of that. Um, I think it has allowed me um, in that role to just really um, kind of mine for information um, when we do like a BRE visit or things with some of our local businesses, I'm coming in, I think, and having those conversations with a different set of lenses. And it helps me identify some of those companies that may be at risk um, from, especially from a talent strategy standpoint. Um, You know, we have some businesses that they struggle to find people for years. um, And then, I can ask them deeper questions about, well, you know, what, what is your people strategy? What's, how does that align to your business strategy? You know, I almost go into the conversation sometimes um, the same way that I would approach a client, um, you know, from the economic development standpoint, it's obviously I'm trying to grow our community uh, and improve um, some of our businesses here. So, you know, it's it's funny because there's so much overlap in terms of the consulting work that I do and, and what um, helps contribute to our, our local businesses and our economy. And, you know, the benefit there also, my natural resources background is most of those jobs that I held um, were in some kind of government capacity. So I, I've, I've gone through the, the political process of, you know, grants and... Um, you know, committee meetings and county boards and all of those different things. So it's a real good blend 
of uh, of skill set and then we you know we are fortunate enough that we live in an area that has um robust natural resources good parks i mean i literally live one mile off of lake michigan um here in wisconsin so um having all of that awareness of all of those different things it's just it's just a really good blend for our area that's fascinating we're, we've come to that point in our interview where I ask you about your favorite book. Ah, yes, my favorite book. Mine, mine is actually um, "The World According to Mister Rogers." Um, you know, I I know most people in my field always talk about a um, probably a business book or you know some I don't know Adam Grant book or or Tim Ferriss or things like that. And mine is Mister Rogers. Mr. Rogers. So what is it about Mr. Rogers? Uh, what is it about the world according to Mr. Rogers that you love so much? Well, what I, I mean, I, I guess I'm a, a child of the eighties. So, um, I grew up watching, uh, Mr. Rogers and all of those types of programs, but what I appreciate about it, um, is he always had a very good way of being non judgmental. Um, that appreciated everybody for who they were and what their strengths were. And, you know, I, I, I strive to kind of identify that for organizations um, through my, my business. And actually, when I was going through grad school, we had to, uh, I had an assignment that we needed to, you know, pick out a video of somebody, you know, in, in a leadership role. And I actually found and, and utilized um, a video of Mr. Roger um, talking to Congress, convincing them to fund um, some of the the programming that PBS has. And what really, um, what I really admire about him, and what I also take away from, um, you know, reading his his lessons, is just you know he, when he was talking to Congress, and uh, you know they they were as they were questioning him, they were very you know, there was some subtle passive aggressive joking at his expense and, um, and he didn't flinch at it at all. He's like, well, you know, this is really good programming. And, and this is, this is why I feel this is important and the youth of, and so I I encourage anybody just YouTube, you know, go, go to YouTube and, and look up the video of, um, Mr. Rogers goes before Congress or something like that. I don't, I don't remember the name of the video, but, how he stayed, you know, his emotional intelligence and his ability to stay calm and collected, even when um, I think they were trying to to kind of push him a little bit, um, is really how I try to model myself and my leadership and just really focused on emotional intelligence. And, you know, who who doesn't appreciate feeling valued in some way, shape or form? Right. Um, and I I think those are valuable lessons for kids. And I think they are lessons that a lot of adults forget um, as we get caught up in all of the other things that draw our attention in life. So I always like to refer people back to that book and it's short and it's, it's short, there's quotes and, you know, that's sometimes when, when you don't have two hours to sit down and read a book or things like that, you just need that little shot of motivation. Um, So that's why I enjoy that book. That's excellent. I what I especially like about uh, Mr. Rogers is the way that he's always present. You know, if he's talking to mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, a puppet, 
he's 100% engaged with that puppet. If he's talking to a little kid, he's 100% engaged. All of his attention is right there. If he's talking to an adult, same thing. And I think that's such an important lesson, especially in our day and age of uh, smartphones and and all kinds of interruptions and and things happening. And it seems like if there's any lesson that we should draw from that, it's that like, be where you are, be engaged, be present with what's going on around you. Right. And, you know, the other, the other piece that I really like about, about it too, is, is it, it also reinforces that being authentic. Like, you know, he, he very much was the red sweater and very, he, he always seemed authentically interested in what anybody had to say. Um, you know, that it wasn't a forced or a phony type of thing. And I think, um, you know, I think people just naturally gravitate towards individuals that are like that. Um, I'm fortunate enough. My, my wife is, is one of those types of people. I, I always joke. She, um, within the first 10 minutes of meeting somebody, she knows their entire life story because they pour it out into her because she's always so fascinated to learn about people. So, um, you know, it, I just, I have a healthy appreciation for people that are like that. Fantastic lessons. Good. Ben, we've really enjoyed having you today on the show. If our listeners want to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to get into contact with you? Um, you know, the, the, the simplest thing is they can go to um, our, my consulting website, which is radixleadership.com. Um, they can email me. Um, my email is bnelson, N-E-L-S-O-N at radixleadership.com um, and they can pick my brain on economic development or ask me more about talent optimization and um, aligning people's strategies with business strategies and things like that. Um, always, always welcome the conversation. And I, I always, um, I always tell people I enjoy a really good cup of coffee. So um, whether it's virtual or in person, I'll, I'll probably have coffee around me. So. Excellent. That was one of the one of the reasons I wanted you to be on the show was because your LinkedIn said that you were a coffee lover and an optimist. And I thought, yep, that's the kind of people that we want. That is me in a nutshell. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com.